AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. We're making one more trip to Kansas City for the NAFB convention this afternoon. And we've got a variety of topics for you, from using options in a risk management strategy, what's next for ethanol, the latest on short corn hybrids, and getting to the bottom line of biologicals. From the final lap of the week via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, we begin with a conversation with Sean O'Toole from CHS. Then we've got Emily Score from Growth Energy. Zach Carlson of Sound Ag and Erica Strittmatter from Bear will join. Then it's James Schertz from Great Plains. I'm Handsome Newsman Davis Michelson, and now here's the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Flory. I wouldn't have believed it until I tried it, Davis. Yeah? What's that? I, I would not have believed it. The fresh cranberry relish mm-hmm. is delicious on a turkey sandwich. Ooh, now that sounds good. Delicious. Now, I went a different direction. I, okay. I went with, with the uh, the cabbage-based relish product. Okay. Made some delicious holiday coleslaw. That doesn't go too shabby on a little turkey sammy, too. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Huh? Man, oh, man, we could talk about that all day right there. I'm telling oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They got a little extra mayonnaise because there's never enough mayonnaise. Am That's I right? right? That's exactly uh, right. Well, I sh- sure hope that you all had a very happy Thanksgiving and have been enjoying our conversations from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention last week down in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Today, I'm wrapping things up with some of my favorite conversations we're talking uh about ethanol development we are talking about biologicals i mean you want to talk about a buzz and some short corn hybrids as well right now we're going to get this started with a conversation about using options in your risk management strategies talking now with sean o'toole he's the director of commodity brokerage at chs hedging uh sean welcome to agritalk thank you chip all right you've got some extensive experience in options trading what is the one thing that you wish farmers better understood about options and the tool that they can be in managing risk on their farm i think the most important thing is that options are a useful way of uh setting price for yourself when you're in a situation where like we are now where dp prices are high interest rates are high and uh, right now if you want to carry dp you're going to be in a situation where you're going to be paying out pennies per month you need to look at what option prices are you know you what 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 can you buy a call for can you sell the grain right now and just buy a call and effectively put a floor in the market which you don't get with a dp contract uh for the same or similar cost to what the dp is going to cost you right you know, it's options are historically cheap right now. Uh, we're we're uh, tr- traditionally at this time of year we're inexpensive, but just historically cheap. We've 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 been cheaper back in the uh, the 2013-14 era, but we're down at crazy low levels in both beans and corn, and it just makes sense. Uh, 
Yeah. So use options. The other side of it is when when the timing is right, which is not generally right now because prices are low in the corn market, but consider using min-maxes or collars as we know them, where you're buying a put and financing the sale of uh, the purchase of that put with the sale of a call option above. What you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position where you have a high price at which you're going to get short the market. If, if we rally to that level and we settle at that level uh, when option, options expire, or you're going to have the put as a worst case scenario. So you've got a window of opportunity between the two, but it allows you to participate in the market at a very low cost. I think what, what farmers don't like about options is oftentimes they, they, they put on a put option, they buy a put option for a lot of money, and it goes to nothing. And they're like, yeah. well, that didn't work. Right. Yeah. And, and you have to look at it as part of an overall plan. Right. Would you go out and do all of your, your, your pricing over the farm gate? Probably not. Would you do all of it with an average price contract? Probably not. You need to mix and match and do things. Talk to your talk to your elevator about specialty contracts where there's perhaps a you know a double up and trigger. Uh, you know what we know oftentimes is an accumulator type contract. You know, don't do it for all of your grain, but look at look at option contracts like that that give you an opportunity to participate in the market. Uh, at yeah. potentially bring in you know more value. Okay, let's break down a couple of those things that are in there. Uh, you, when you buy a call option or a put option, the amount of money that you spend for that option is all that you are putting at risk. It's got limited risk with unlimited upside potential, correct? Right. On the call side, it's unlimited because the market can go higher. The puts obviously have a... Have a Generally, we think of zero at the bottom unless you're trading crude oil in 2020. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it's, it's a limited cost, yeah. fixed one-time cost, and you've got then that protection. The key is you need to buy a, a tenor or duration that uh, that matches what your farm marketing needs are. Right. Another thing from your opening comments, you buy a put option, the thing goes worthless by the time it expires and you lose the premium that you put into it. And the first thought is, well, that didn't work. That worked almost perfectly, didn't it? It did. It did. It had the market gone south, you had a put. Right. We need to remember that part. Right. Uh, in a perfect world, the market goes up, and you never worry about the put option because you're selling it. You're selling at the elevator for a better price. Right. Right. Remember, everyone, when we talk about a put option, it's like a seesaw, a teeter totter. So when the futures price goes down, the premium on the put option goes up. When the futures price goes up, the premium on the put option goes down. So it's just the opposite with a call option. You get it's like the the wings of a bird. They both go up at the same time. They both go down at the same time. So if you're using it as a price floor, you kind of want it to expire worthless because you you're making up for it in the cash market. Well, exactly. And I think that especially in times like this, where we're finally seeing interest rates do something for the first time yeah. in my adult life. You know, where we're watching options, where, where, uh, they haven't really. In my opinion, they are implied in option pricing right now, but I think it's going to take a bigger toll in time. With volatility as low as it is, it's really yeah. an unusual time. It's yeah. it's We still have the ability to buy options inexpensively at this time of the year, yet interest rates are high. So what is your cost of doing business? Make certain you understand how many cents per bushel it's costing you to store that grain. Absolutely, and what the, what the impact of that interest rate is on on that total cost, no question. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times that they're cheap. Now, is it because of flat price or is it because of the lack of trade and the lack of volatility in the markets? 
Well, there are a couple things. Flat price, certainly, if you follow a flat price chart versus an options volatility chart, volatility is going to follow flat price to some degree. When it gets exciting and prices go up, volatility is going to follow. That's traditionally why we see our lows in December or January, and then it follows up through the spring, tops out somewhere around the 4th of July, and then meanders south all the way into the new year. Other things to think about, though, with also what's going on is we know the funds are participants in options. Yep. And one of yep. the big things that funds do is they sell option premium. They're selling puts. They're selling call. It's You're in a situation. Our, our markets are so much smaller than the energy markets and the metals markets and other commodities that the funds are investing in. And to get more bang for their buck, they are selling option premium. I believe that's kept premiums below levels for several years. Yeah. You know, I could I don't want to get into the extreme depth of what the various yeah. months look like, but I can tell you that as an options guy, front month options are cheap relative to where they relative to the rest of the series all winter long. It turns around in the spring when when the the trade yeah. picks up, but all season from about October through March options markets are just wrong. I mean, the front is too cheap. Great conversation. Thank you so much, Sean. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chip. Good. All right. Sean O'Toole, Director of Commodity Brokerage at CHS Hedging. We'll be back with more AgriTalk in a moment. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. The chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on AgriTalk. Back at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting down in Kansas City, had a chance to run into Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy. It's good to see you. Always good to see you, Chip. But um, there is always so much going on with biofuels and ethanol and it, it the the proof is happening we're starting to see the demand build for some of these products that were on the come you know i'm thinking about sustainable aviation fuel in particular doesn't mean that it still doesn't need support to to continue that growth where do we stand it's so exciting i mean it's just a positive energy in the industry right now so we're not there yet but we're trending in the right direction. First, we had to make sure that we need some tax incentives. It's a lot of capital investment to be able to convert alcohol to jet. We secured that in the Inflation Reduction Act. We have a huge coalition that's supporting us, talking to Treasury, educating uh, the IRS on when they come out with a tax code, 
give us credit for all the innovation taking place in the industry. We need that credit to be able to 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 be eligible for the tax credit. We're expecting some guidance coming out from from Treasury by the end of the year. So that'll be the first step. Um, making sure, too, that, you know, plants are able to sequester their carbon. That's a that's an important opportunity for us to reduce our carbon intensity. So every plant is looking at what they do with their carbon in a different way. Some are utilizing it. Some are sequestering it on site. Some are going to capture it and, and move it and store it elsewhere. So that's that's an, an important component as well. But it's a, it's a blue sky opportunity. And all of the political energy is towards getting us into that category. I mean, just this summer, you had President Biden saying 95% of sustainable aviation fuel is going to come from the American farmer. We can respond to that call to action. That's a huge market. I mean, every time I hear Secretary Vilsack say it's a 30 billion gallon market, it kind of makes my heart jump because it's almost to be careful what you ask for. (laughs) It is. It's a huge market. And of course, you need 1.6 gallons of ethanol to make a gallon of SAF. So that's even more of an opportunity. I mean, just here's the here are the numbers. Last year, as a nation, we produced 16 million gallons of sustainable aviation fuel. Our goal is three billion by 2030. That's exponential growth opportunity. Biofuels. It's we're the only way that you can meet that kind of volume, and and do so affordably with a tax credit. So it's an exciting opportunity, and really everybody in the industry is laser focused on this. And here's the other upside too: the customer wants our product. We are not fighting the customer. It's not like the fight for higher blends at the pump. Airlines have said we want it. And, and so they're helping us advocate for the policies that allow us to compete. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, you mentioned a couple of things about how we can make it happen. Uh, part of it is utilization of the carbon coming out of the ethanol plants. We can talk about that. But the other one is moving it. And those pipelines have run in. A navigator pulled the plug. Summit is still working on it. But they've run into some real um Roadblocks, head headwinds. Uh, yeah, don't call it a roadblock yet. Uh, j- let's just call it a headwind. But can these be overcome? Can our, our pipeline, CO2 pipelines, part of the future? They're an important part of the future, and I hope that it can be overcome. And my hope is that I think people were surprised. It's kind of the intensity of the local conversation. So there's a lot of educating and conversing that has to take place at the local level. People, I understand, have to get comfortable with this. But it's a proven technology. It's an important part of our future and therefore the future of rural America because it allows us to really drop the carbon intensity of our product. And it makes us a product that we can sell it into SAF. We can sell it into Canada. We can sell it into the EU. We can sell it. You know, it makes us very competitive. So my hope is not if, but when. Uh, And so what we're really focused on at Growth Energy, too, is making sure, well, if we need to get a tax extender because the timeline is is moving more than advancing more, okay, then that's what we have to do. We got to make sure that when we have the ability to transport the carbon, that the plants can take advantage of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You made a great point saying that the airlines have, you know, have embraced sustainable aviation fuel. Wouldn't it be something if we could get the automakers to do the same thing with the engine designs and higher blends of ethanol? Wouldn't it be something if we could do that? It's a little bit of a different conversation. We continue, you know, they, they're, they've they really made such strong commitments to electrification. And so I think what you're starting to see just in the news, they are facing roadblocks for a host of reasons. And so as that continues, you know, I think there's there's also a separate parallel conversation on the future of liquid fuels. By any measuring stick in 2050, the dominant vehicle on the road is the internal combustion engine. 
well, let's do what we can to clean that up. Let's optimize biofuels to decarbonize. And so there's a really healthy conversation going on with auto and throughout kind of the liquid fuels family, because that has to be a solution on the table. We, it's an opportunity for us to grow and participate affordably and allow a consumer to do something good for the environment without having to buy a new car. Yeah. You know, we're, we're starting to get some of the feedback from the second buyers of the electric vehicles, and they're not buying electric. Uh, not everyone. There, there are Obviously, there are some that are going back to an electric vehicle, but it's not the slam dunk that the EV makers thought it was going to be. It's not, and you're going to continue. I mean, I see these stories every single day, and of course, many people forward them to me. But it's not a slam dunk. It's not a panacea. And you can't do that. There's no one solution. And so what we kind of say to EPA with their fuel economy standards, for example, don't pick one winning technology. Let all of us compete. Let the best technology win. We have a lot to offer, but you've got to make sure that we're part of the equation. Move yeah. it forward. Yeah. Okay. E15. Um, it, it It's become part of my routine. I mean, there's no question. It's the cheapest at the pump. The truck performs well on it. I like it. Uh, I like what it does for for corn growers. Why why can't we get this through? What what is the roadblock that remains? Politics. It is straight up politics. I have yet to talk to anybody in Washington D.C. that opposes E15 on merits for on any for any criteria. It's better. It's better for the engine. It's better for the economy, and it's and it's better for the planet. Um, it's just simply we still have resistance from some in the refining sector that it's competition. The more ethanol you use, the less petroleum you use. But that's shifting. We have greater support for year-round E15 and a legislative fix now than we did two years ago. And that's inclusive of many in the refining side who understand, if I'm a big integrated refiner, I need to be competitive globally. I need to be low carbon. Ethanol's my answer. Yeah. Okay. How did the ethanol, the RFS reset go? Is it where you want it to be? It's good. It's good. It wasn't everything that we wanted. And I think what you're starting to see is those advanced numbers were not as high as they needed to be. And EPA came out with a final number that I think underestimated the amount of renewable diesel that's going to come online. And so we would like those advanced numbers to be higher. But on the conventional side for ethanol, we've got three years of commitments for 15 billion gallons. That's what we wanted. And so it gives us time to kind of focus on some of these other big policy priorities. Right. Um, we've got a farm bill extension. And what I've noticed even just last week as everything was happening as fast as it was with the continuing resolution, all of a sudden we started getting all kinds of phone calls from representatives that want to get their bill and their information out in, out in front of us. Um uh, and they want it to be a rider on the farm bill when it's debated in hopefully the first quarter of, uh, of 2024. Now, what biofuel type bills should we be looking for that might get attached to that farm bill next spring? You know, that's a good question. So we'll have to see. I mean, some have talked about something like an E15 bill, even, for example, the year out E15. Um, we still have a little bit more work to get to that point. Uh, and so I think that would be kind of the most likely aspect. You know, another thing that we've t worked is to make sure that the definition of sustainable aviation fuel is inclusive of the GREED model, right. which comes out from our Argonne National Labs. And that's to the best benefit of biofuels. 
So kind of some little things like that. That's kind of a, a little thing. Um, you know, if I can, you, you're, you're ethanol champions in D.C., like Senator Grassley. Uh, we had him on last week, and he specifically mentioned the GREET model. Uh, so those that understand the process have adopted that, the, the let's push for the GREET. But how many... How well is it understood why it's so important? It's actually pretty well understood. So we so we can all pat ourselves on the back a little bit. The fact that you've got a senator calling out the name of a carbon model means he understands it's mission critical for us to be able to be an SAF. It has to be the Greek model for us to be able to compete. And so I would say our congressional champions, they understand the importance of the modeling. And whether I'm talking to Department of Transportation or energy, or EPA, or USDA, or the White House, what I'm hearing back from them is, Emily, we've heard you. We understand. We have heard your message of how important this is. And so we're going to keep, we're going to continue the full court press, but I think people are starting to recognize, and I'm, I'm getting the recognition of that model is mission critical for biofuels and therefore the administration to achieve what it wants to achieve. Fantastic, Emily. It was sure good to see you. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Always great to see you. All right. That is Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy. Black Friday, the massive mega opportunity offered annually on the Friday after Thanksgiving, has drawn criticism as shoppers clamor to bust through doors and save as much money as they can when buying holiday gifts. But over the years, the holiday enthusiasm has turned violent. According to BlackFridayDeathCount.com, since 2010, when the site began collecting data, Black Friday has recorded 125 serious injuries and 17 deaths. In 2018, a casual glance at an attractive woman shopping in a mall sent a Memphis man to the hospital after shots were fired at the man for leering. In 2016, police records show a shirtless man used his belt as a whip outside a Vancouver Black Friday sale. And in 2014, a UK woman was taken to the hospital after suffering a head injury when she tussled with shoppers and a television fell on her head. So rather than joining the rat race, maybe stay home and polish off the rest of that stuffing. Trust me, there'll be plenty of shopportunities between now and Christmas. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Back at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, 
Convention in Kansas City. Conversation now with Zach Carlson. He is the agronomy manager for Sound Ag. Zach, welcome to AgriTalk. Hey, great to uh, great to see you, Chip. All right. Uh, you want to talk about a buzz. It's all about biologicals. And it's not only what they're what the performance is in the field it's just simply that growers want to know everything that they can about it and whether or not they should give them a shot um what what are we do what is the goal that we're trying to accomplish the really the goal in the biological space is to be more sustainable with the with the soil that we have and grow in um better crops i mean it's it's sustainability it's how do we how do we do more with less? And I think soil health is what we need to focus on. And biologicals, I think, over the years have have really not had the innovation that they needed. And uh, a lot of focus has really come um, around, finally, from, from outside sources. And uh, I think sound agriculture is positioned in a very, very unique sense. It's where a chemistry and not a biological. We're using what's already native to the soil so that we don't cause any uh, um, adverse effects. Okay. When I was looking at your notes of what you wanted to talk about down here, I I thought it was interesting. Activating instead of adding. Yes. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so since we are a chemistry and we're using the natural signaling of crops to the soil and and in turn the microbes that are there we are a soil activator so what we do is like caffeine for microbes we're giving them a reason to wake up in the morning and really uh go to work that they've they've been bred to do that that's what those those numbers can do so using what's native in the in the soil is is vitally important and um increasing soil health so because you know over the years synthetic fertilizer has caused imbalances there's always an antis and uh a bad effect that yeah. can come from putting too much nitrogen out there. Yeah. Um, it can tie other things up. So we need to work with how that, because soil is always going to fight for balance. And if we imbalance it by a lot of synthetics, we need to get it back there. And biologicals are definitely one of the things to do. Bacteria, fungi, all of those different families. There is in, in billions that are down there. Let's, let's get them to work. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and really, you're talking about the long-term benefits. Let's talk short term because I hear that uh, that the biologicals help that plant help make the nutrients more available to the plant to be taken up in a timely fashion. Does it stretch your your nutrition dollar? It actually saves it because think of it think of the nutrients that are in your soil as either a checking or a savings account. Okay. What we're doing when we're adding nutrients to the soil is we're going directly into the savings, but that are going directly into checking. That's what we're pulling out right away. Okay. Think of all the nutrients that biologicals are unlocking as is in the savings account. Okay. So when your pH is above the normal levels, you are actually tying that phosphorus up. Even if you're adding to sustainability levels, you're still banking some of it. Just, I mean, 50% on a conservative basis of of tied up phosphorus needs to be unlocked by microbial activity. If we're applying too much of it, it's actually uh, degrading that ability for those microbes to go back there. So it's really a, a checkings and savings account. We need to start using what's in our savings account that, that we're just applying each year and it's getting tied up. That's a really, really 
easy way for a guy like me to understand it, Zach. Thank you. Yeah, it's just it's just bringing it back down to earth. And I think there's some also some tools and some innovation. And this is a collective. This is this is not just us. This is other companies in the biological sense. Genomic testing. Get figure out what's in your soil that can actually help. You know unlock phosphorus unlock nitrogen on the microbial actually like down to the scientific name okay i've kind of been waiting for the right guy to ask and i think you're the right guy where are we at in the learning curve on the biologicals research and industry are just at the precipice of knowing what is there now it's actually putting it into a visual so we we know that the you know we know all the names of them but we don't know how to translate that into layman's terms. We are just at the precipice of really unlocking this whole industry, and it's going to be a collective. It's going to need all of us at the same point. Um, but just on our research, there's 300 uh, nitrogen-fixing uh, microbes that are down there. We activate 200 of those. Now, the list is actually much larger. Right. So we know what the list is. We know what the book looks like, but we don't know how to actually bring this to terms in a field based upon variability. So how do we make it the easy button? We're trying to, and we believe that source is the easy button for that, but um, there's, we're, we're just on the learning curve of this one, just, just at the start. It's exciting. I mean, we get involved in it and do, do some testing, right? Yeah, it, I, I always say start out with one field. Yeah. Learn about one field in a really deep sense so that you're not getting overwhelmed with an entire operation that you're dealing with, you know, multiple uh, thousands of acres take 160 acres and really learn about it because that's where you're that's going to be the jumping off point where you start feeling comfortable good stuff zach thank you i appreciate it chip thank you all right that is zach carlson he is the agronomy manager at sound ag erica strip matter is with bear and erica when i think about some of the new things coming to market and things that are really peaking growers interests it's your corn hybrids and, and uh, the, the short corn system. Tell me about it. What, are you, what have we learned so far? Yeah, so the Prescient Smart Corn System is so exciting. We really, truly believe it's a new era of corn production for farmers today. So I say Prescient Smart Corn System because I do want to focus on the system component because I think that's something that makes it very unique to Bayer. So Short stature corn hybrids obviously are a part of that system. You know, the acronym that we like to talk about in terms of those benefits is PAY, protection, access, and yield potential. You know, that shorter plant can withstand those strong wind events better, that shorter plant can be driven through with standard spray equipment in the middle of the year for more precise applications like fungicide and nitrogen. And then yield with that shorter plant, we're finding we can push those population densities more so farmers can get more on a single acre, maximize that yield, maximize the land that they have available. So that's kind of what we deem as those inherent benefits and what's exciting about short stature corn. But like I teased, it's a system. So a component of that system is climate field view. And in order to access short stature corn hybrids, growers have to be on the climate field view platform because we're utilizing those digital insights to create custom planting recommendations, help them through those end season applications, really working with their local, you know, agronomist or FSR to have that digital component right alongside the field. So okay. farmers can really understand, you know, 
in an acre by acre basis, what's working, what's not working, what could be optimized, improved, et cetera. So it's a really exciting innovation because it's really pairing, you know, this new short stature corn hybrids to the market with that digital component of Climate Field View alongside the tailored support of their trusted advisors and bringing together this whole new package for farmers to, to really change the way that they look at corn production. Okay, put the Y on pay, how's it yield? We are feeling really good about our trials this season. So we had about 30,000 acres out um, this year across four different states. We are seeing farmers breaking that 300 bushel per acre. Uh, we're getting results in on a regular basis. You know, there is some variability in performance. We're in a test and learn environment. So we're working really closely with these farmers to understand what's working and not working about those hybrids. So we're seeing performance on par with some of our, you know, leading genetics presently, but we're hoping over time as that pipeline becomes more robust and matures that we'll really see those yields push. But I would say the growers who are getting those high 300 plus bushels, um, we're really managing that crop very closely and in a bit more of a different way than their traditional hybrids. It's it's not a plant it and leave it kind of situation. It's we're, we're being really intentional about touch points in the field, scouting that crop, being precise about that in-season management and farmers who are doing that are seeing success. Okay. Are you far enough down the line to know about the residue management uh, on that crop? And, and does it does it react differently? Does it break down differently than what normal corn? Is that what I call it? Good grief. So we're kind of, I would say, a little bit in the middle of this right now. So what we do know is we had concerns about residue management knowing that it's a shorter, kind of thicker plant. Is there going to be more matter to deal yes. with? We're not getting any feedback that it's any different than their traditional hybrids. So if you actually strip the leaves off a short corn plant yeah. and a traditional plant, if you put them next to each other, it's not much different in terms of right. the thickness. It's just those nodes stack so closely together, it makes it look thicker. So we're still, of course, doing research and really trying to find a hard answer on that. But And what we've been getting back from feedback on folks who had it last year and who are going through that harvest process now, they're not seeing any big difference between okay. residue management in terms of traditional versus our short stature corn hybrids. Okay. The other one that I hear questions about or thoughts about is ear set. Uh, are you getting the ear up high enough off the ground so that we're not picking up rocks in the combine? Yes, yes. So we are targeting 24 inches ear height in oh, our okay. in our breeding selection. So 24 inches is what that target is now. Because we are in, we don't have the biotech trait out right now. Right now it's the breeding trait. You can see some variability in that, but it's it's not necessarily from the breeding. It's because of weather conditions or or things that are happening yeah. out in the terms of you know farmers are familiar with this mother nature doesn't cooperate things yeah. come along we aren't prepared for but so far you know we've had some lower ear heights you know maybe a little bit below that 24 inches but nothing that has been unharvestable so combine heads you know we've been working with a lot of the major manufacturers to really understand how low can you go yeah. um, before, you know, really having an issue? And we feel really confident that ear high placement around 24 inches is looking fantastic. And we haven't gotten any complaints yet about farmers being unable to pick up their corn off the ground. So it's been a great year. Well, I tell you what, every now and then we get that buzz going throughout the industry about new innovations in corn production coming. And I've there's a lot of buzz around this one, Erica. So Good luck with it. I know farmers want to see what the 
what it can do for them. Well, thank you very much for the time today. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. Thank you. That is Erica Strickmatter. She is with Bear. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm back at the uh, National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention down in Kansas City. Conversation now with James Schertz. He's the president of the Ag Division at Great Plains. Joins me right now, James. Thank you so much for making time. Well, Chip, thanks for stopping by the booth. What a great opportunity to talk with a bunch of folks about uh, what's going on in the business. Yeah, yeah. That, you, you got that right. I mean, the amount of conversation that's happening in this room right now down here at Tech Talk, is it, it blows my mind. And, uh, James, let's talk about what the cover crops, okay? Um, growing in popularity... But there's still a healthy level of skepticism out there about them. Would, wouldn't you say that's right? Oh, absolutely. It's you know the thing you got to remember is there's not just one solution, one silver bullet that fixes all issues. You know, cover crops have been around a long time. Uh, it's just becoming more in vogue, I should say, or more aware as we really start to push more to these regenerative and sustainable practices. And you know, we've been doing this since the '80s. You know, the company's been around since 76. When it, when you think of Great Plains, as we were one of the first in the implement division, in the implement space, to really think about soil health, soil management. What are the agronomic practices I can do to make sure that I'm creating a healthy environment, not just now, but in the future, but also maximizing my yields? Because if it doesn't pay, if it doesn't provide value to the grower, why am I going to do it? And the cover crops are one of those examples is that it doesn't fit for everyone, but in most cases, it does. And we're going to provide not just a box drill, a solution set, but we're going to help you get into that, really, that path, that solution to make sure it fits for your practices, and we can help you in that journey to a more sustainable practice. Okay. Uh, the the Climate Smart Farming programs initiated from USDA, they come along with lots of incentives to go ahead and... and and uh, at least try a cover crop, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's that that proverbial question is, how do I get into it? You know, that's we're, we're an implement provider. We're a solutions provider. We're only going to have so much bandwidth. And that's why we created a partnership, uh, really a mutual relationship with 
bear from foreground last year is they are the experts when it comes to the carbon market. They are the experts when it comes to really that, that how do I get access to that revenue stream that I don't have today? You know, we're the solutions provider. We're going to provide you with that information and in how you can change your practices and adapt your practices to better fit and meet those sustainability requirements. Foreground by Bayer is the one that's really going to help make it happen. But with that relationship, we will be that agronomic arm, that solutions provider arm. When there's questions, what do I do? How do I get there? Plus providing equipment like box drills, like tillage to help you get into those practices and that agronomic advice to really make it happen. Yeah. What's new from Great Plains? When it comes to new, it's all again of the about how do I expand the versatility of box drills? Am I going to spend uh, the resources and the money on a single product that fits just one specific application? Or am I going to take a box drill that's really going to get in to other applications that's going to do my cover crops, it's going to do my 15-inch soybeans, it's going to do my cereals all in one package, plus throwing in technology on this with drill command that I can get into variable rates, I can get into prescription mapping with a box drill. But then that stretches into our tillage solutions with, again, technology. How do I get into implement command? How do I ensure I've got a consistent quality output? Well, throw on info command that allows you to monitor and control from the cab so I can check and see what I'm doing and adjust it on the go to get that maximum seed bread, that maximum um, crop knockdown, and really prepare myself for that next operation. Yeah. It sounds like it's... A more and more things are being designed out there to be part of that regenerative, sustainable push that is happening. It sounds like this fits right in with that. No, absolutely. You know, that next endeavor really that we're providing the solutions for is being able to consistently apply an input, whether it be seed placement, yeah. Yeah. whether it be the tillage optimization, because eventually we will get into the standpoint where we need to prove it. What did we do? Did we say we did what we were going to do? and be able to report that so then I can get access to these carbon markets. I can get access to these revenue streams. And that's what we're about, is helping you in that journey, but to provide that solution so you can not only say you're going to do it, but prove that you did it. Yeah, and James, you just made, you got me thinking about this more all as the conversation goes. It's not a one-year flip a switch, make the move. This can take three, four, five years of planning to get to where you want to be. Oh, absolutely. And that's when our agronomists and some of that next level that we're going to work with, with Bear is joint studies. This is not just one silver bullet, boom, I'm done. If you just jump straight into cover crops without resetting that vertical profile of your soil, you are not going to like that outcome. But if you really look at a systems approach and really understand what's my starting point and start to put in a sustainable system in place, because when it comes to regenerative or it comes to sustainability, guess what? Tillage is an essential part yeah. of that solution set. You know, one, there's just not cover crops. It's just not no-till. It really comes into a systems approach over a multi-generational, multi-year strategy. And that's where we come in as we provide those solution sets, not just in product, but information to help you get there. Making dirt, building organic matter, it's not an easy thing and it takes some time. No, absolutely. It's about that soil health because that's that one resources we're never going to get back. So unless you optimize that and really maintain your soil health, 
doesn't matter what you do next. And that's that's our goal. Good stuff, James. Thank you. Thanks, Chip. Appreciate the time. You bet. James Schertz, he is the president of the Ag Division at Great Plains. Well, that does it, Davis. That puts a wrap on mm-hmm. our coverage from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting meeting. Hey, we covered a lot of different ground from developing yeah. markets to resistant weeds to tillage in a in, in a uh, uh, conservation or or uh, regenerative system. It, nope. it, uh, it it was a lot of fun bringing those those conversations to the listeners. Well, I think if there's a theme maybe that emerged from there, and we touched on it just in this last little bit here, you got to optimize to maximize. Yeah. Optimize to maximize, baby. I love it. I love it. That's what we're going to do again next week. We're going to we're going to stay focused on what's going on in South America. I know that that's going to be one of the big things. Be safe, everybody. Have a great weekend. This is AgriTalk.